0: Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square Podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social
1: distancing. The scripture reading is from Hebrews 11, verses 8 to 12. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the Promised Land like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, whose past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so, From this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Amen.
2: As you can see, we're packing up our office space around here, so things are a little bit more bare than usual. But thank you, Chuck. We are very thankful for you here at Redeemer Lincoln Square for leading us in worship again. But also, thanks for your commitment that that you've given us over the past three years to this church, as well as to your call to plant in Hell's Kitchen. It is bittersweet, as we've been saying all month long, uh, but we know that this really is just going to be a see you soon. I'm looking forward to partnering with you in the coming years as we seek to love this city, to care for it, to seek its peace and prosperity together. As uh, you said last week, you're only one neighborhood away, and so this really is, I'll see you soon. Now, before we dive into this morning's text that Tracy just read for us, I have one more special announcement to give you regarding someone who's going to be supporting our church family here as a theologian in residence. Dr. Anthony Bradley, who many of you know uh, already because he led us a few years ago at a mass incarceration event that this church hosted, he'll be joining our church community in this way. This is something that we've been praying about for a long time. We actually uh, approved this job in our budget last year. And he was hired on March 1st before COVID-19 and this pandemic hit. And we had hoped that we would be able to announce him back in March or at least celebrate him in person. But now that it seems like that's going to be a while, that um, we can't wait any longer. We are just as excited to announce Uh, Anthony, as a theologian in residence. Uh, This individual doesn't stop their day job. He's going to continue writing scholarly works and research and teaching. He has a full-time job, but he will also be now a consultant for us on all things related to Christianity and culture. He will lead worship for us at some times. Next week, he's going to preach for us. He's going to workshop some our class curriculum and share his wealth of knowledge on a range of topics from family life, discipleship, race, justice. Anthony is a personal friend of mine, a confidant, someone I've been able to go to over the years, and I'm just so thankful that he is going to join us, and he loves this church. I'm so thankful for him and excited about this new role. He's going to join me for Q&R after this service, so stick around and join me there. We can ask him questions, and we can welcome him as well. Um, and he'll be preaching for us next week, so get ready. Now, uh, we've been looking at the Hebrew chapter eleven. <laughs> Look at Hebrews spe- specifically, chapter eleven, asking how do we live out a life of faith in fearful times? We're going through it verse by verse, looking at various individuals, seeing how they live their lives seeing how nothing gets their lives down. <clears throat> and we want to know how we can apply that to ourselves. This is why I think Hebrews 11 is so interesting, because if you skip to the end of the chapter, you see that them living a life of faith, but living a life of faith is living a life of greatness. This ability to take on the world, uh, to thrive and to persist. Of course, these individuals get downcast, of course, they get tired. Of course, they stumble. Of course, they fall into error. But they don't get cynical. They don't give up. And they don't let the world get them down. And this is in contrast to how many of us in this city live. If you look at Jonathan Haidt in his book, The Coddling of the American Mind, he notes that our culture now is filled with what he calls safetyism. Safetyism is this belief system that prizes safety over all other values out there. And he says this is why our culture, filled with safetyism, it's, we, it leads people to seek only voices that confirm what they already believe in. Instead of being challenged, instead of being debated or uh, you know, moved maybe from one view to another, both sides of the political battle right now are entrenched. They get outraged by each other. And so there's no dialogue, there's no discussion. Everyone's identities hurt everybody else's identity, and it's led to fragile psyches. And what the Hebrew writer is saying is, these people have the opposite mental makeup. These people don't let anyone get them down, no matter what they say, no matter what they do. And this is because a life of faith means no matter what the world throws at you, you take it. And so we need to ask ourselves, How can we have that in our life? How can we keep going? How can we become people like this today, in this culture, in this moment? I think the answer comes in our text in three parts. It means following a God of justice, trusting a God of providence, and obeying a God of unexpected surprises. I'll say that again. It means following a God of justice, trusting a God of providence, and obeying a God of unexpected surprises. So first, following a God of justice. Look at the text. If you're like, where does this talk about justice? Uh, All I see is Abraham and and Sarah. But the fact is, the writer devotes more time to Abraham and Sarah than any other figure in Hebrews 11. They're discussed here in verses 8 through 12, but then also in verses 17 through 19. And what's important for us is that, is verse 11 mentions Sarah, it says this, by faith even Sarah. And this is no small thing. Because if you compare all other ancient Near East documents, comb through them, I challenge you to find women mentioned in this way. Women are invisible in those documents. If you go to Roman or you know Greek documents that were written around the same time as the New Testament in antiquity. Roman and Greeks talk about fathers and husbands, they don't talk about wives. But when the Bible talks about husbands, it talks about wives. In, other, in these other documents, when the head of the household is struggling, for instance, like Abraham, they don't bring up the wife. That was unheard of. But if you go back to the original Genesis text, Hagar is mentioned. She's not even Jewish. She's, she's Egyptian. and She's even from a different race. And she's the first person in the entire Bible to actually even name God. So you have to say, like, what? Are you kidding me? That the God of the Bible is a God who loves outsiders. Hagar, of all the people, is the first person to have the angel of the Lord appear to her. She she's the first person to have a di- divine messenger speak to her. Later in the Bible, you have the whole book of Ruth. You have the book of Esther. You have in Matthew looking at Jesus' genealogies. What do you see there? You can trace his history back to this, this genealogy. In all ancient Near East documents, if you were a queen, you might get into those uh, documents, into those genealogies. For Jesus, though, he has no less than four women. Bathsheba, Tamar, Ruth, sorry, Bathsheba, Ruth, Tamar, and Rahab. All proud mothers of Jesus. Women, linked to his kingship. So when Sarah is mentioned in this text, at this point, it's just one more sign that God is a God of outsiders. Look at Jesus, whom he talks to. Jesus is always talking to women and children, racial outsiders as well. The poor, who are economic outsiders. Lepers, who are medical outsiders. Prostitutes, who are sexual outsiders. This is a God who treats people equally. He speaks up for the rights of others. If you go to Proverbs 31, 8, it says there, speak up for those who can't speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. See, if you want to be a person who can handle every, anything and everything, if you want to become a person who, no matter what life throws at them, you can handle it, you need to follow a God of justice who speaks up for those who can't speak for themselves, as this Proverbs uh, uh, text tells us. Because if you do that, if you hold a biblical view of justice, like Joe said last week, we won't hold some sort of utopian view that we think that we can ever have on this side of heaven, all problems, all social ills fixed. Right? The reality check that I think we've had over the past week or two is that there's no easy answers here. Let's be realistic of what we can do, let's, and let's do those things. But the Bible says also, for all the people out there who says, you know what, let's just pull out, let's not even try, let's not even begin this process, the Bible says that's categorically false. And so, instead, what you see, I think in, our, in the entire biblical text, is that we should share the same love of justice that our God has. So that The kingdom is at hand with Jesus that there's now a new creation, that there's redemption and restoration of all relationships that are coming. And therefore, all people, if we slam ourselves into knowing this God, loving Him, experiencing Him, His love for us, everything will change. Your economic relationships will change. Your racial relationships will change. They'll all change. Abraham in Genesis 12 is told that the future kingdom is every tribe, every nation, and we get to participate in that now. Follow a God of justice.
0: At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq@redeemer.com or join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 1030 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube.
2: Secondly, trust a God of Providence. Now, for most people in New York, Providence is the capital of Rhode Island. However, the word Providence is actually much more important in the Bible. What you find there is it contains, the word Providence contains the word Provide. It means provide providence. That a God of providence is a God who provides. That means everything that happens in this world is part of his providence. If you go to Ephesians 1.1, 1, 1, it says everything happens according to the counsel of his will. Does mean God this this means God has plans. His plans aren't always easy to see, his plans aren't always easy to know. But if his will is good, if Romans 828 is true, and God works all things for the good of those who love Him, then, this will, then His plans always work out in the end, even if you can't see it. If you want an unshakable life now, if you want a life that the world can't break now, there is no way that you can handle what life will give you, the anxiety, the doubt, the uncertainty, unless you believe this. So when... Yeah, that's, that, that, that's it, but when, here's the problem. Some of you, when you hear this word providence, when you hear about God's plan, you roll your eyes, you get mad, or maybe you even get frustrated. And the reason why is because I think there's both an intellectual problem and an emotional problem with providence. Let me, let me list those quickly. The intellectual problem is simple. It's that if he's in charge, and he's really, really in charge, then that means then we're not in charge. We don't have that freedom. But we need to see that providence is different than determinism. Determinism is the concept that your choices don't really matter, but the Bible clearly says that your choices do matter. This is why in verse 8, Abraham is going and obeying and believing, and it's cited, which means God's plan is not contrary to our choices, but actually includes our choices. God is so sovereign, then, He is so good, He is so providential, that He can use your choices to get his will done. Look at Jacob, for instance. Jacob sins against his father. He robs his brother. He messes up so much that he has to flee for his life to a foreign land. And in that foreign land, he meets Rachel. In Rachel, we're told, and through Rachel, the redemption of all restoration happens. Right? Jesus, the line of Jesus, actually ends with her, or begins with her, any way you want to think of it. So the question is, is did God then plan for Jacob to sin so he had to go to a foreign land to meet his wife? The answer is yes. God knew he was going to sin? Yes. Yet the actions were free actions and Jacob had choice not to sin. His free choice and God's plan are inside the same reality. Jacob was completely free and yet completely responsible for his actions at the same time. See, um, we like to pull apart God's will and human responsibility when in the Bible it's always meshed. A good example of this is I used to tell people if you want to, you should Google the word hardened in the book of Exodus. And if you do that, you'll find that word show up. Sometimes it'll say Pharaoh hardened his heart. And yet sometimes it'll say God hardened his heart. And you can actually you know, count it out on both hands and it's like six to eight or you know, five to seven. And the question then is, is, well, which one is it? And I think the point the is trying to say is that Pharaoh's free actions and God's providence do not have to be pulled apart. They can be one and the same. See, Joseph was sold into slavery, right? And when he gets out of slavery, he's able to work a little bit, and then he's thrown into into the dungeon. So there's so much wrong that happens in Joseph's life, and yet he's able to, years later, approach his brothers who did this to him and say, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. In Job... Job is sitting there saying, why is all this happening to me? Why is my life ending up this way? And he actually is never given an answer. God never says, you know what? Let me tell you. Your suffering is going to be, make you one of the most famous people ever. And because of your suffering, you're going to help a lot of other people in their suffering. See, God never told him that. The Bible shows that God's actions and your actions fit together. And that can actually gives you great hope, because no matter then, whatever is happening in your life right now, you're not on plan B. You're not on plan C, you're not on plan D. You're on plan A, the, the plan, even if that plan doesn't look so good right now, which of course leads us to the emotional problem of Providence, isn't it? I think the emotional problem's pretty, pretty easy. And that's this: I know all the answers. I know all the stories that you just told me, Michael. I know all the thoughts. About God's providence, but my dad still has cancer. My brother's still in the hospital. My life is not what I want it to be. You see, the emotional problem here is yeah, God's in charge, but we're in a pandemic. The collective emotional hurt of our country is immense. And the question is okay, what are you going to do about that, God of providence? Right, that's the emotional problem right there. It centers on his timing. That his timing is not our timing. If I could put it bluntly, that's the problem. See, Abraham and Sarah, go back to our text, they were given a promise. They were told that they were going to have a son. And that this son was going to be everything for them. He's everything culturally. They need a son to you know, pass on their generations. But he is everything redemptively. That the plan of the redemptive plan was going to be through this son, and so God said, "I promise you that this is going to happen." You know what happens next? Decade after decade after decade of waiting, decades of waiting. Nothing makes you question God's providence more than His timing. Racism. What? What's the promise? The promise is God's going to make all things new. The pandemic. The end of all disease. And death is coming. See, the promises are there. But when will the healing finally come? We know the defeat of cancer will come when when the defeat of death comes. See, I think we understand that intellectually. We know that in our head. But the emotional problem is always over the timing. That His timing is not our timing. And, and, And I think the only way to fix this emotional problem is we have to simultaneously feel... God's love for us and yet also his providential hand over us at the same time. You need both because only a providential God sees the end from the beginning. Only a providential God sees all and knows all. He knows how long you and I need to be here on this earth. He knows what needs to happen and when it needs to happen. See, he knows and can fathom it all and only if you know that kind of God that that God loves you and is committed to you and cares about you and gives up everything for you, only then can you be completely and fully comforted. If he's loving but not in charge, yeah, he can sympathize with you, but he can't do anything about it. If he's in charge, if he's powerful but not loving, well, then you're always going to question what's taking him so long. But if he's both loving and powerful, if he's both these things together, I might not know why this is happening, but I know what it can't be. It can't be that he doesn't love me. That's what you can have. And I know that because I felt that love in the person of Jesus. In 1882, uh, the composer George Matheson wrote, it, wrote the hymn, Oh, Love That Will Not Let Me Go. And he actually recalls later that he wrote it, within, it took him only about five minutes. It was right after his fiancée their wedding was imminent, left him because it turns out that he was losing his, his sight and she didn't want to be married to someone who was blind. And he recalls how immense that pain was, that loss. And so the song just came out using imagery that he no longer was able to physically see. He says, O oh joy that seekest me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain. And feel the promise is not vain, that mourn shall tearless be. When you say, I'm never going to feel love now. I'm never going to get back the success I had now. I'm never going to have my loved one back again. Whatever the cry of your heart is right now, trace the rainbow through the rain. Feel the promises are not vain. Know that your God hates death as much as you so much more that he enters into that death. So you need a God big enough to do something about it, but you need a God also near enough that you know when he did. A God big enough means that you can trust his timing over your own, that he sees things that you don't. But a God near enough now means as hard as that truth might be, he's sitting right there with you in it. If you don't believe in a God like this, you can't have the security and the ability to make it through the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows, only if you trust a God of providence. Now, last point. You can, you gotta, you gotta um, also obey a God of unexpected surprises. The writer here links Abraham and Sarah's obedience to their belief, which is actually kind of surprising because if you go to the Genesis account, that's actually not what the writer does there. His, but here, in verse 8, it's linked. That, that he listened. That he went, not knowing where he was going to go. See, that concept is, is foreign, I think, for a lot of us. I doubt few of you who grew up here in New York and stayed or came to New York, I doubt that you did so not knowing where you were going. And the reason why is because for us, most of us don't tend to do something unless we know it's going to work out. But here, obedience is defined by God saying to Abraham, I want you to do something that you're not going to know if it's going to work out or not, if it's going to pay off or not. How many are you, and I'm including me in this, how many of, will we, of, of us are willing to obey not knowing if it will pay off or not? At some level, that faith is obedience, not knowing the outcome. Obedience is means living out and holding fast to the Word of God, whether you fully get it or not. My parents used to remind me of this often. Is I tended to, growing up, I would do something if it made sense to me. I'd make them explain it. If it was rational, if it was reasonable, then I would do it. And they pointed out, rightly, that agreement is not obedience. Obedience is... Not trusting you get it. It's trusting he gets it and then following him. So go back to Abraham again. He was promised land, wasn't he? Um, he was promised people. But he isn't full get, he's not fully given these things. God says, wander, wander, and I'll give them to your descendants. So will you obey God whether you like it or not, no matter if it pays off or not? We have the promises already. But what if his promises that you have that you know are going to come eventually, they don't come in your timing. They don't come the way that you think that they should. So let's try to get very specific here. What if the promise that you will be filled, that you will be loved, what if that only comes to final fruition when you're with Him in the end times? Will you live out an obedient life to Him even if His timing is not your timing? What if you now know that your life's not going to be as comfortable as it used to be? particularly if you obey Him, will you do so? See, obeying in that moment, that's what it looks like to obey a God of unexpected surprises. That the reason that you can trust this God, when He says, go out, when He says to do that, not knowing where you will go, obey me even if you can't see how this will work out. The reason why you can trust Him, better than even Abraham trusted Him when he left his father's house, is because there was someone else who left his father's house. Jesus left his father's throne above. T- his mercy found all immense and free. For, oh my God, it found out me, right? I mean, Jesus left, but didn't know whither he went. He left his security. He left his family. He left his father. He left everything that was familiar. And he came for you. So now that if you believe in him, you get everything. What do you get? You get His obedience that He did for you. You get that. On the cross, His sins applied, sorry, your sins applied to Him and what He did on that cross, His good applied to you. Even if you don't fully obey Him anyway. But also, you can now trust His timing. Even when it doesn't look good. Why? Because Jesus trusted God's timing even when it didn't look good for Him. And out of that, that brought the restoration redemption of all of creation. Think what if you did the same thing, if you trusted, what what could be brought into this world because of that trust? That you could actually help bring about the redemption and restoration of the world as well to this city. See, the Christian can think like this now. If I'm being called out and away from money and security and comfort and control or some view of reality that I had for myself, whether uh, you know, whatever you call that. If you're being called out from those things, that's nothing what Jesus was called out from. But your Savior went out. He lost his Father. He, not knowing where, whether he went, he lost everything. So now, whether whatever your future holds, whatever that might be, if you... It, it, now that now that's, that's the case, you know that because he loves you, that you can still do it because nothing will you be called to do that He hasn't done already Himself. Give up your comforts. Jesus did that. Give up your security of knowing how tomorrow will go. He did that. He gave up friendships, His family, His Father. He did all that. And if you know that, deeply in the bowels of your humanity, whatever the world throws at you, it can't shake you. You lose your job, He lost His job. He lost everything you... You can lose everything. I can too now. And the implications are so vast right now. You could become such a rock solid convicted person with so much security, so much foundational earthiness to you that you can now stay in spaces when all else falls apart. If New York City is fallen apart, Christians can stay in places like New York. More, not less. That we can have the hard conversations, that we can pursue the lost, that we can work for the redemption and restoration of this whole world against racism and sexism and classism and fascism and materialism, whatever ism is out there, you and I can do that. At the same time, we can profoundly, finally feel, you know what? I don't know why this has happened, but I can't wait to find out why. Because I know God's going to use this. I don't know how, but I know He will. And when you begin to think like that, that makes you into a great person, a person of greatness. Follow God of justice. Trust a God of providence. Obey a God of unexpected surprises. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's actually easy to say these words and, and that there, there is so much that goes into this. Follow God of justice. I mean, there's... Uh, we need to do that in this moment, Father. You are more just than us. You are more balanced than us. You understand both the personal and corporate calls to justice better than us. Help us to keep a biblical view of justice and to follow you because you, it's your heart and we want it to be our heart too. But that means also trusting a God of providence. That our ti- your timing is not our timing. And that is so hard for us because we're, we're crying out. We're saying, oh, how Lord, how long? in so many different spaces. And yet we have the promises, and we can hold those promises because we know you are both a, a God of power and love. And you fuse those together in the person of Jesus. Which means that we can now obey you. We can obey even if we don't know how the outcomes are going to be. And I know that sounds scary, but that's real obedience. But you have found yourself, you are trustworthy. Uh, we, we... have we, uh, uh, Cling to you, Father, even when there's nothing else to cling on to. Father, if we're tired, if we're feeling like those promises are not coming to fruition, help us to see that we know that they will come. It's not a matter of if, it's a when. And we know your purposes are are always perfect. Your timing is always right. Help us to realize this more and more. We praise things in your name. Amen.
0: Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already. And we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.